This episode of Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a 30-day trial of their audiobook subscription service. When you sign up, you'll even receive a free audiobook that's yours to keep whether or not you continue with Audible after your trial has expired. That's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. We are the Popcorn Poops. Welcome to Popcorn Poops, the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet. My name is Jessica, and with me, as always, is my husband, Dustin. Hi there. How are you doing, Dustin? Doing well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good. Wow. Wow. Thanks. Nice and succinct. That's how we do it. <laughs> I'm feeling pumped. We just came back from Captain America Civil War, which was pretty okay. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty okay. Pretty good. Pre- really long. It was really long. I'd really like to talk about that, but that's not what we're talking about today. not what we're talking about today. Um, As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. Follow us on Twitter at popcornpoops or individually. I'm at jcasperkramer. And I'm at dustycramcram. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, and also we have our merchandise shop online where you can show your poo pride. Yes, buy the goods. Um, if you'd rather just throw money at strangers, then you can also do that by using the donate button. The d- <laughs> I swear, I'm, I'm probably actually going to change it to an act, just a donut and, and we're going to call it the donut, the donut button. button. Just hit the, the donut, donut button to give us money. Yeah. Uh-huh. So this month, our monthly theme is hashtag 1986 month. That's right. New new theme because mm-hmm. my birthday is on the 13th. That's right. Just like last month, we celebrated your birthday with a month of 1987 films. This month, we'll be celebrating my birthday with a month of 1986 films. And that means it's a big year for you. It It is. Hitting the big 3-0. Oh, yeah. Which means that all of the movies that we're covering this month, believe it or not, are 30, 30 years, years old. old. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm in shock cause I'm 30, but the whole world can be in shock that fucking labyrinth is, is, you know, 30 years old, but not to steal your thunder. What are we talking about? This uh, week, starting things off in our hashtag 1986 month is Jim Henson's film Labyrinth. That's right. If you're going to sync the movie with us, pause as soon as the title card reading Henson Associates Incorporated and Lucasfilm Limited present fades away. Now, while you are finding the sync spot, Dustin is going to read you a... Is it a five-star review? I believe it is. Is it on iTunes? I think it is, yes. All right, go ahead. Five-star review on iTunes from The Omni Geek with the subject line, Fun, even if I disagree at times. I think it's healthy to listen to people whose opinions you don't always agree with. This is why I'm also subscribed to Josh Hadley's Radiodrome. I've had some issues with what you've said about films I love, like Alien and The Princess Bride, but I still listened. You failed to see the disgusting brilliance of street trash. You want a mean-spirited film? Check out AVP Requiem or Cannibal Holocaust sometime, but I still listened. Also, when Dustin dumped all over Ready Player One in the Wreck-It Ralph episode, I cursed him out audibly. But I still listen. (laughs) But I shouldn't penalize you for having different tastes from me. It's clear you guys know your stuff when it comes to film, and your tracks are way more entertaining than most commentary tracks, the majority of which come off as phoned in. You surprise me sometimes as well, in a good way. I went into your episode on the gate expecting a full-on dump fest after Street Trash, and I was shocked at all the good things you had to say about the film, which is another old favorite of mine. Keep up the good work. I look forward to whatever you'll be reviewing next and how much of it I'll disagree with you on. Take note, ladies and gentlemen, 
that's how you do a five-star review. It's pretty fantastic. Excellent work, the Omni Geek. We really appreciate that. That's an excellent review. Yeah. I'm very, so. very happy with that. And it's very healthy to to disagree with people. I mean, people. you I, and I disagree on a lot of stuff. We disagree all the time. That's like the the core, the nugget of, of our, our marriage. Role. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the foundation, <laughs> the keystone upon which we've built our everlasting love, <laughs> right? Uh, and I just want to, I want to say for the record, AVP Requiem and Cannibal Holocaust, yes, they are mean-spirited films. Let's go ahead and just lump Street Trash in there with them. I feel like <laughs> they, 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 they deserve each other, let's say. But uh, yes, thanks again, the Omni Geek. We, we really do appreciate that. All right, so if you want to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, you are welcome to do so. And as always, we do really like those five-star reviews. We do. But we also, uh, we also hold honesty very high. That's right. It's a, we hold it uh, at a, as one of the... It's a virtue, really, right? Yeah, I think so. Is that what they say? Honesty is a virtue? Sure, whatever. Sure, fuck it. That's what we say. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, be honest, but five stars. Five stars are pretty cool. All right, cool. It's time to start the movie, so sinkers, press play at the beep after the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. And we're off. And you're going to have some things that to say about this movie that people disagree with, aren't you? Shocker. Shock of all shocks. Um, yeah, well, let's let's keep it a surprise for now. Do I like this movie? Do I not like this movie? Am I indifferent? I, I don't know. What is it? But... Uh, we can see right now that apparently these opening credits... Are, are we watching the opening credits to Labyrinth or The Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul, <laughs> directed by Zack Man, Snyder. this is a shitty-looking owl, though. It is bad, but to it is, be It is fair, 30 years old. It is 30 years old. Uh, and it and is, I mean, look at how you look. <laughs> Do I look as bad as that owl? <laughs> Thanks, sweetheart. Uh, yeah, this is um, this is the first, as I understand it, the first fully CGI uh, animal creature that was attempting to be like photorealistic, like okay. a photorealistic looking I mean, animal. I mean, you see an owl like this, and then you go see the Jungle Book that just came out, for example, right, yeah. and holy fucking shit, but we've it, come a long it, way. It's pretty shitty of us to make fun of the owl here then, right? It's a, it's it's a, a little, little shitty of But us. I had to make a gahool joke <laughs> <laughs> because who can't? That's that's the, the other go-to joke is Harry Potter, but that's fucking played. The Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahool is a much better choice. Um, but yeah, it is It is actually the first photorealistic CGI animal character in a feature film. Um, and we've got the opening credits just kind of play over black here. We've got uh, Brian Froud. We just saw conceptual design. Um, and uh, he worked also on uh, The Dark Crystal, of course, which mm-hmm. we both liked a whole lot. We did right. an episode which, on that. And we'll talk back. we'll talk about that later, sure. too. Um, but yeah, uh, also we... <sighs> I don't know that we picked this because David Bowie passed away this year, uh, but yes, of course, we can go ahead and get that away, get that out of the way. Rest in peace, David Bowie. Do you right. have Do you have a history with with David Bowie at Me? all? While we're listening to his his voice, no, his, I don't think so at all. His beautiful voice being well, this is you. I think this might be. I think be. this is the, the core of my history. This is the extent of your history and with Mr. Bowie. It, I think so. I I have to be honest. I don't like. Prince's death hit me a lot harder. Um, I had a long history with Prince's music. I, you know, he's he's uh, kind of been one of my favorite artists uh, for a long, long time since I was uh, pretty young. Um, but David Bowie, I never really got into. Like I knew some of his songs, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be that guy. I'm gonna admit that uh, I didn't really 
started enjoying his music until like Guitar Hero came out and I started playing like Ziggy Stardust, mm-hmm. which was cool. Like I like that shit. Like I, 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 I know him more from his, uh, I guess, um, the lampooning that was done of him on Flight of the Concords with mm-hmm. Bowie, <laughs> Bowie in Space, whatever that song is called, uh, than I do from actually enjoying his music on my own. But since his passing, I've, I've kind of felt an obligation to catch up, so to speak. Uh, and I have really been um, uh, enjoying what I have been uh, listening to of his work. I've been listening to his most recent album, Black Star, which I think is uh, pretty spectacular and kind of weirdly prescient. And there's, there's some interesting stuff on there. Um, as an actor... He's good in Zoolander. <laughs> I have to be honest. I just wasn't. I'm, Prince and Bowie just weren't my thing. And I yeah. know that's very not popular, especially now that they're dead. Like yeah, now yeah. it's. <laughs> but I mean, really, though, come on. How much did we talk about them before? <laughs> well, maybe you didn't. <laughs> well, I didn't. Um, but, but yeah, as we'll, we'll get into Bowie's performance uh, in this. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think uh, he's a born entertainer. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I think he's in this movie. Fine, fine. I guess sure. he's fine. He's fine, I guess. He. I don't know. He doesn't really do much for me. In fact, there aren't any performances in this movie that really do anything for me. If I'm being totally honest, um, I think Jennifer Connelly's pretty wooden and terrible. Mm-hmm. I don't think the script is very strong to begin with, and I think her delivery. I never delivery noticed is, it until until yeah. this watch, but some of the dialogue's really bad. Yeah, yeah, some of it's pr- yeah, it's it's yeah, it's pretty bad, and she doesn't really elevate it. She can't really elevate it, and you know she's got we've got little baby Jennifer Connelly here, and this is one of the first things she's she did. If not the first thing that she ever did, um, and I, you know, I just don't think I, I don't I don't really care for her character. I, that's the other thing too. I the bigger thing is I don't to. like the character. I know I'm not supposed to at first, but I feel like there's a reconciliation of the character where you grow to like her over time. That I don't think the movie pulls off. No, I don't think so either. I the, see the thing about this character for me is that I should love this character. I should totally relate to this character from the get go. Um, she's a girl who's into theater. She's into fantasy. She's into fairy tales. Or she, LARPing, maybe. <laughs> I don't think that, lightning bolt. Oh my god! I don't think that wearing a princess dress and saying. You know, reciting some lines from what clearly is a play or something is ridiculous. I, know, I don't think that's ridiculous. I know you want to talk ridiculous. about what we're seeing. Oh right yeah, now, so, so you've got that. all the dolls and stuff that are showing up on the screen. Obviously, there's Didymus. Um, there's the, the the ballerina one was her when she's in her in dress. The dress. There's in the, the labyrinth scene. There's a labyrinth there. There's these books that are obviously, you know, inspiration for the story that we're about to see, uh, particularly. Uh, the Lewis Carroll books, you know, Through the Looking Glass, Alice in Wonderland, The Wizard of Oz. Uh, That's uh, bomb, but not, yeah. Hans Christian Andersen, um, his classic fairy tales. What else is there? Uh, let's Sendax see. Sendax Outside. I didn't look it up. Oh, you did? Did you not? Did you not write down all the, the books that were there? Uh, yeah, I did, but I didn't look at. I didn't look up. Some oh, of them. okay, that's fine. Well, I mean, Grimm's Fairy Tales was there. Well, there's also Outside Over There, which is Outside Ma- Over There. That was the right, title. which it's a Murray Sendak book, and we also saw Where the Wild Things Are there, which is also Murray Sendak. Um, and this this movie is apparently kind of loosely based, more specifically on Outside Over There, although it shares like these the, these commonalities, these uh, tropes, if you will, with these other kind mm-hmm. of. Um, 
teenage girl gets swept away to a fantasy world type story. Right. Um, but Outside Over There by Sendak is actually about a girl named Ida who must enter the fantastical world described as outside over there, quote unquote, uh, to find her baby sister who's been spirited away by some goblins. So that's pretty specific. Yeah. And um, yeah. So that was actually one I didn't know. I didn't know that book. Um, so, but Sarah, let's get back to Sarah, played by Jennifer Connelly. Well, first, I think this is a story of an insufferable Anglophile who reads books and drinks tea and speaks in a forced transatlantic accent, and she also has a proclivity for hallucinating. Okay. That's my take. What I was trying to get at saying is that I should... I love it. I love it when they start cutting to the <laughs> goblins. Yeah, I do too. That's, that's... that's when you know that this movie... Like, what you're going to love about this movie, that's when you know you've you've found it already. Because up to this point, it's kind of like, what what's going on here? What is... Like, why am I supposed to like this character? Am I not? Yeah. Whatever. And then you start seeing the puppets, and you're like, oh, okay. okay. Never, I'm on board. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just this hard cut to these puppets. There's not really any music in that moment right there when she's looking in the mirror and... It's kind of scary. Wishing, And this whole scene, uh, when I was a child, this whole scene was kind of... I, when we get to the labyrinth, I always loved it. I always loved the movie when we got to the labyrinth. But this this lead up always kind of freaked me out and made me uncomfortable as a kid. Um, this I I didn't like the way she acted. I didn't like I didn't like the way she whined about stuff. She seemed like don't. a bad girl. I still don't. Yeah. I it was hard for me to relate to her. Um, and and this stuff was kind of scary with the goblins and and when Look they start looking right in the camera as I though know. as though they're looking through the mirror that she was looking in mm-hmm. and I think that's the feeling that we're supposed to get yeah uh, but there's nothing fantastical about the cutting or the editing or the music or any anything that you're that you know the filmmakers are trying to use as a tool to uh, blend those or blur those lines it is just a cut and I think the and beauty it's the colors of, here too yeah I think the beauty of that the 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 cross cutting is what makes this scene. I mean, and and just the contrast too, where we everything here is very very decorated, very over decorated, very pristine looking, very white and light blue and and peach colors and stuff. And then we cut to these dirty, nasty looking goblins. Yeah. It's just great. Dirty within reason <laughs> they're not they're not super dirty they're not super dirty but i mean just they're not the color they're the not color. meet the feebles dirty <laughs> they're just the colors and stuff right like it's very gray right. and brown and right very um very much earth tones yeah uh, but actually, Where the Wild Things Are, we saw that. We mentioned that. Uh, that was my favorite, is still my favorite children's book of all time. And we will have to figure out a theme month that I can work in. Uh, movies based on children's books. And, okay. And I'll probably Bridge to Terabithia. Sure. Sure, we can do that. That's a, yeah. That movie's not bad. I, I don't know if I ever even saw it's it. It's not bad. Because I loved the book so much it, as a child. It and kicks you in the dick in the same way that, that the, the book that did. the book does. It, God, I mean, that if, book if you're fucked gonna, me up as a If you're going to get one thing right, and I don't want to spoil our Bridge to Terabithia episode if we ever if do, we it, do it. But if there's one thing that that movie does right, that you need to do right in that movie, it's that dick kick. Yeah. And they kick you in the dick. So I love this part here. I love... I, well, I say I love it, but when I was a kid, I it, this... It bothered me. I mean, and the cut, that cut right there, right there, that's horror movie. 
right? Yeah, there's a little bit and, of that here. Yeah, and sure. right here, when we cut back, the when it wiggles underneath the blanket and stuff, that's horror movie. That has that kind of Gremlins feel about it, that 80s horror movie feel where you, you again have that very familiar setting, that very colorful regular looking normalized looking house setting and then you have something kind of uncomfortable going on mm-hmm. um still colorful and uncomfortable but something kind of uncomfortable i love it i love that as a kid i did not though as a kid this got a little bit horror movie for me and her, uh, her bro- little brother Toby has been taken away. Toby, unfortunately, will always be connected in my mind to our kerosene heater that oh, we named Toby right. when we, we named it Toby when after we lived the guy in, Japan. in the office. After the <laughs> right, because we always felt sorry for Toby in the office. So uh, we named our we we named the thing that kept us most comfortable in the winter after the character that we probably cared the most about on that show. <laughs> Toby, our kerosene Toby heater. Toby, our kerosene heater. Which was funny because it actually got uh, our friends like naming their kerosene heaters things. Which it, is pretty funny. It sounds ridiculous, okay. but you have a pretty intimate relationship with your kerosene heater if well, you live in Japan. I didn't fuck it or anything. No, but. no. But I mean like... Um, if it's not there, then your ass is frozen. Yeah. Because there's generally not central heat and air, so... So you get up close and personal. David Bowie looking sparkly as fuck with that power mullet. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He's a sparkly motherfucker in this. Look at it. Look at that powerful mullet and his sparkles. Okay, going going back, going back to uh, Sarah. Um, I should love this character. I should totally relate to this character now. I should have related to her when I was a child watching this movie. Because, I mean, she's kind of an exaggerated version, or maybe not even an exaggerated version of me. I'm I'm not going to deny that I may or may not have dressed up in costumes and recited fantasy stuff to myself in a mirror a few times in my life. <laughs> Lightning bolt. I didn't LARP. I didn't have enough friends who were as weird as me to LARP. But but I mean, I was I was that kind of geek. I still am that kind of geek. I just have a job and shit now. <laughs> I got bills. <laughs> but but like I got time to put on a dress. She's her head's in the clouds. She's reading too much and she's reading that fantasy sh- mm. shit too. So like I should totally relate to this character that puts on a dress over her jeans and runs to the garden to go play pretend by herself in the woods. Like, I should totally relate, and I don't. Because she comes off as whiny, and she comes off as irritating, and and I don't ever really feel like it it comes back around like she has that character change in the way that she should. It feels contrived. It feels sure. forced. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It feels like, well, this is the part where she learns about responsibility. And there's a bit, I mean, there's a big hill that you have to get over the, 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 the kind of the barrier that you have to cross over in order to start sympathizing with her or even empathizing with her is you have to get over the fact that she starts this movie as a fucking irredeemable brat. Right. A real brat. Oh, yeah. A complete brat. And here's the other like, problem. Like, way too old to be acting that here's way, Here's the other problem that I have. And for all you fantasy lovers out there who love this movie because you love the fantasy and you love the girl being swept away and you love all of that stuff, this is kind of a problem message that I didn't really realize until this viewing. But the message is, is that her having her head in the clouds 
so to speak, her being into fantasy and into theater and all of that is supposed to be negative. Right. It's supposed to be her not being an adult. Right. Well, they frame it as a character. She needs to grow up. She and I mean, think about the ending, the ending where she puts away the picture of her mom and she puts away her fantasy books and stuff or all her shit. It's really weird. It's like and also the association that if you're into fantasy and stuff, then you're also into collecting teddy bears and toys because you're still acting well, like a child. Exactly. She's uh, they they frame it as like being in a in a state of arrested development. And where, that's a problem for me. Yeah, where you just you're not growing up, where you're immature and and head stuck in the clouds and I mean it's a, it's and, the, it's the bell thing from from Beauty and the Beast, right? It's you right. know, that girl is Yes, but I feel like the Beauty and Beauty and Beauty and the Beast, she's never she is never told she's irresponsible for oh, for acting the way she, I mean maybe people people feel that way, but they're wrong. The story lets right. us know they're wrong. This story lets us know that those people are right. Yeah, exactly. That her parents are right that I was she just needs talking to about grow that up. Archetype, but yeah. Right, but that archetype, I like the bell side of that archetype where where you go no 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 we're saying that this is an intellectual woman yeah we're saying exactly she, a person with an imagination right that's something to be yes. and in a movie like this you would think that's uh, that imagination would be a desirable trait mm-hmm, right. right and actually and instead this movie is relating imagination to immaturity yeah. and irresponsibility. And that's a problem for me because guess what? Like I'm still the same person and I grew up and I still love my fantasy and I still do all this, but I'm responsible as fuck. Would you, so, would you say that, that the movie argues for a balance or, or I, I, maybe it does argue for because a balance she, I mean, because at the end she invites them back and she's like, well, whenever I need you, yeah, then you'll I be mean, here. I, I think that, that that's probably part of it because we do see the movie, the beginning of the movie, she is, you know, rehearsing these lines and doing a dress rehearsal by herself. In the, in the yeah. part. It's fine. Um, uh, whatever. And she's like an hour late to babysit her brother. And I mean, she's obviously not framed to be a reasonable person because her parents are like, hey, we don't go out that often. And she's like, every weekend, every weekend. And they're like, no, listen, it's, we, you know, if you, and they even say, if you can't do this, we're not going to make you do this, right? We just ask right. that, you know, if you can, please help with watching your brother if we go out. And she freaks the fuck out. And she's just like, I hate this. I hate all of this. You all suck. I and clearly have so much to say about this movie. There's a, <laughs> well, and there's a, and it, it kind of goes nowhere, but her mother is obviously a stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and fairy tale tropes, and I mean that's exactly. fine putting them in there. That's fine, but the, you know the movie absolutely rejects the evil stepmother idea outright. Where her mom is, her or her stepmom seems to be a reasonable person, and when she storms off, she's just like she acts like she says it. She says she acts like I'm an evil stepmother. No matter what I do. No matter what I do. And, uh, and, and you get the feeling that she wants her to be the evil stepmother. Right. And right. Exactly. And it, it could be like this wish fulfillment thing where she's just like, oh, I'm trapped in a terrible fairy. T- I'm Cinderella, you know, yeah. some shit like that. Well, and also it's the stuff with the mother, which we're we're going to talk about. Um, but but I guess what I oh, the other thing I wanted leading into that is they're also relating um being imaginative and being being into fantasy and stuff to sexual immaturity. Yeah. They relate it to sexual immaturity. Oh yeah. Because because they her stepmother makes a comment right at the beginning where she says, you know, if you went out on a date, if you had a date, then that would be fine. And she's like, I want I you want to I want you date. to go. Why aren't you dating? What's wrong right. with and you? And so and so in we're, so many words. Right. We're 
where we're relating um, an, a sexual arrested development to her being invested in fantasy. Yes. And again, I have a problem with that. Obviously, uh, just like I have a problem with relating being into fantasy and having a big imagination to being irresponsible because, like I said, I've been responsible as fuck my entire life and I'm still just as into that shit as I always was. Um, and, and I think relating it to sexuality too. I mean, would we, would we do that with a boy? Would we do that with a boy for one thing? Mm. Probably not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sure that there are examples. Well, I, I guess the the nerd who doesn't have girlfriends is is part of that stereotype. Sure. So I, I guess so. Um, but but I, th- but I think that when you see it in in boys, it's more of like you see it uh, kind of manifest itself as boys who like to tinker or build or destroy things. And it's also coupled with this problem child mm. aspect. Um, someone who's like very uh i guess intelligent or um uh mentally stimulated all the time i don't know i f- i feel like the kid from the babadook is kind of that archetype that I, I don't know why that's the first one that pops into my head but i feel like that's an archetype for how they frame boys in that situation well i'm talking about like sexual arrested development oh i was just talking about like head in the clouds kind of no i was talking i was talking about sexual arrested development um with with people who are into like fantasy and stuff and i feel like with, but yeah, the, oh, the nerd archetype is absolutely right. But yeah. but think about it though. Doesn't the nerd archetype for males usually want a, a girlfriend? It's just usually that they can't get one. Sure. Isn't that how they act? And with women, we turn it around and we're like, they have a problem because they're not interested in penis yet. Right, right. So so I feel like there is still a difference there. Anyways, we have a lot to say about sexuality in this movie. But first, let's talk about how much I love this worm right here. <laughs> Are you a worm? Or no, no, she says you're a worm, aren't you? Ah, there's um, an example of yeah. bad dialogue. However, yeah, and like right before that, she's <laughs> when David Bowie sets her off on her oh. on her journey. She says, "Well, come on, feet." <laughs> That's some dark crystal shit. There were a couple lines I in guess, dark crystal, yeah. that, and I don't mean that in a good way. I had some problems with a couple lines from dark crystal that we talked about. Um, another line of bad dialogue was earlier with with David Bowie in the room, and she said, "I want my brother back, please. If it's all the same, <laughs> what?" So awkward. If it's all the same, what fuck is, is 1986 actually like 19 like 1886 or something? <laughs> like what? Please, if it's all the same, who who wrote that shit? I guess the only way I can come back from some of the dialogue, because she keeps it up through most of this movie, the only way I can come back from some of it is just believing that it's part of the fantasy land, like mm-hmm. that she's kind of acting, that the character herself, I mean, I don't mean the actress. That little worm obviously. is amazing, because it's obviously like a larger puppet than it I appears it. to be, and the set has, in, has increased in size, you know, they've enlarged. Hello. <laughs> Did you say hello? No, no I said, I said hello. hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And then you've got lines like that. Like, I don't know, this this... I, I wouldn't say I dislike this movie, and I guess I can go ahead and put it out there, but I, obviously I've got issues with this. I think this movie kind of is not super successful at its goals. I, I think if you want a cool, weird puppet movie by Jim Henson, you watch The Dark Crystal, because that is 
far more interesting and far, far more weirder. far more like classic fantasy too yeah like it's really you've got the dark against the light you've got and then how they have to come I mean, the, together I, I feel in like the, the end, production design in that there's a lot more going along on there's a lot a lot more interesting things going on in the story and with the characters mm-hmm. and just kind of all around like this feels like it feels like a David Bowie vehicle to me. It uh, feels like let's maybe. put a, let's put a rock star in a movie with puppets and see how that goes. It's I w- really experimental. I, I think, will but. definitely I will definitely say that's the case in some regard because of the music, um, which right. this is a this is a perfect time to talk about the music in this movie. Magic dance because we're doing magic dance. Magic dance, I, I'm is my favorite song. I'm guessing it's most people's favorite song. It's the one everyone remembers. It's the one everyone remembers and can recite the lyrics to. Um, it's catchy, I guess. It is, but I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't think the music in this movie is very good. No, I don't think so. I don't think this is a good song. I don't think it's a good song, but it's the one that I remember. It's fucking weird, though. What does it mean? It doesn't. Here's here's the problem. The problem with the music in this movie, the big problem with the music is that you're talking about a David Bowie vehicle. And the problem is that, yes, that's what the songs are in this movie. They're just here's some David Bowie songs that are weird that don't have anything to do with the plot, with characterization. Um, if you're talking about this movie as a musical, I am sorry to to break your hearts. This is not a musical. No, it fails. It, it fails this, miserably. It, you don't want mu- to call this a musical well, the, because the, it would well, fail yeah, exactly. so hard to call it a musical. The musical numbers in this don't serve to uh, flesh out characters. They don't serve to uh, drive the story forward. They don't serve to illustrate uh, a change in the narrative or any kind of conflict in there. No. No, nothing. It's, it's the, just... The, the songs in a musical should move the plot forward. They should contribute to characterization. Any the of music and dancing should extend the dialogue. I mean, those are... It's a cool sequence. You know, you see the dance, you know, the dance magic or magic dance, whatever the fuck the song is called. Um... And the sequence is interesting because, you know, you've got 48 puppets. These are real numbers. 48 puppets, 52 puppeteers, and eight people in goblin costumes, right? And, I mean, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to put a sequence like that together. And it is impressive to see all these things dancing around. Yeah, no, and I like all that. Um, But... But you can cut it out and nothing nothing in the movie would change. Yeah. That's a problem. If you can for if, a musical, if you can if cut you want a scene, this to be a musical, if you can cut an entire scene out of your movie and it changes nothing about the plot or characterization or anything, then it shouldn't be in there in the first place. Right, and that's how every single song in this movie is. And I don't really like. And I've talked about Bowie's performance. I don't really like his performance in this. And part of it is um, that first of all, I don't. Th- I don't really think. I don't think he's a great actor, um, but I think that he delivers the kind of performance you typically see from actors working with puppets. Like, I I expect a higher caliber of performance from a feature film, but Bowie acts like he's on The Muppet Show. He's tossing around that American sniper baby and just... <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> someone, someone out there will get it. 
and they'll appreciate that. It's not me. <laughs> it's not for you, sweetheart. I'm sorry. Thanks. Um, also, I have it. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But you can, I mean, full on see his dick and oh, balls. Oh man, there's so much penis in your face in this movie. Dick and balls all day. And there's so much of it because <laughs> what do you call it? You call it a, mo- a moose. Moose knuckle. A moose I, knuckle. I know someone. Someone disagreed with, with with me, but I would I main have maintained since my college days that a, a camel toe is what a woman has and a moose knuckle is what a man has just because <laughs> I mean it's a, it's simply a, a matter of size really but yeah anyway so, but, you know you've you've got David Bowie in this movie and he's got the huge huge moose knuckle he's his dick and balls are on full display and you're cast him you've cast him alongside puppets and the puppets a lot of them are about waist high so you frame up a puppet in the shot next to David Bowie and what are you going to see? You got penis. You got penis. <laughs> you got penis in your kids movie. You penis happy in your about face that? in your kids movie. <laughs> Lots of penis. Um but yeah, I mean that's, you know, aside from the the outline of David Bowie's cock being all over this movie. <laughs> I mean, there are a few shots where you can you can see it all. You can see the head of the penis. <laughs> 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 just watch his penis just wait <laughs> just wait labyrinth starring david bowie and co-starring david bowie's penis uh, jennifer Connolly's third build uh, <laughs> fifth, oh, fifth if you build the balls separately I have, I have so much to say that's not about his penis let's talk about the liar's paradox here we go we tackled this so she's in the liar's paradox scene where she confronts the two doormen that say you know one of these guys is a liar and one of these guys always tells the truth so one of these gates leads to the castle the other gate leads to cer- certain death you can only ask one question uh, to one of us what is it going to be and we tackled this this is something that we even talked about the labyrinth in our arcade episode mm-hmm. right um, but we tackled this in our episode way back in shit was it January maybe maybe uh, uh, when we covered uh, of course um, Albert Pune's arcade <laughs> and uh, in arcade they fucked it up oh they fucked it up really bad in arcade they fucked it up because what did they say they, they said they set it up by saying I tell the truth and this one always tells a lie and it that was that was like they weren't lying about that they just straight up said I always tell the truth and this one always tells a lie so she goes I think she actually goes to the one who tells a lie and asks the, I don't know question, maybe, but maybe she didn't says, but vote. you're lying I don't know it's they fucked it all up uh in in labyrinth um this movie kind of gets it right. I think we said they get it they right. I think they get it right. I, I don't know. I think they bungle it just a little bit. And I've, I've always felt this way by having the gatekeepers explain the rules. Why? Would, because they both but explain I don't, the I rules. Don't think, I don't think that does bungle it, though. It just means that we can't trust the rules. They tell her that she can only ask one question. Sure. But that person could be lying. We just right. don't know. They, they might. You might be able to ask more you than one question. You might be able to ask sure. more than one question. So you say they bungle it, but I don't think they really do. I think we're, I, I mean, if you're really talking about. It doesn't totally bungle. Like, I think it still works, but I think it's it's kind of weird because we, uh, we're, we're not drawn to, um, 
I don't know, to expect that to be a lie. Like, the, right. I, no, I agree with our, that. Our attention is not drawn to that. Where, you know, they don't use that to make the scene more interesting. Right. We're supposed We're, to believe that that's the exactly. rules are just the rules. We're supposed to take it for granted that they are telling the truth when they explain the rules, although the rules include them saying one of us always lies and one always tells the truth. Here's the thing about the liar's paradox. As many times as we have talked about the liar's paradox and we have explained the liar's paradox and I have understood it, if my life depended on the liar's paradox, I would still die. <laughs> I would still die you every freeze? time. You'd, you'd I would in the freeze situation and, and I'd be like, oh, up. fuck, I don't remember which one. <laughs> I have to ask a question. Fuck, I don't know. And I would die. I would die. The trick to the liar's paradox is you ask if either one what the other one would say and then you do the opposite of that because you're involving both parties and forcing one to speak for the other, which means a lie will always be involved. I mean, I can memorize that, but I still don't the remember how it works in my brain. Well, I have to think really exactly. hard. You and, can, and I think we discussed the logic of it in the arcade episode. So if you want to go back and hear us stumble our way through that, we do spell out the logic of why that works. But if you just want the trick, you ask one person to speak for the other person and do the opposite of what they say. That's it. Um, let's let's talk about uh, the writing on their shields because that's really specific. There was a, there were okay. runes on their shields. It looks like Tolkien's Dwarvish. It does look like Tolkien's Dwarvish, which is obviously based off of Celtic runes. Lightning bolt. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. I found one website that said um, that it was not some kind of made-up elvish, but actual Viking runes, which is where goblins originated. <laughs> and I, I had so many I had so many problems with that statement. I just want to argue with this website that I found <laughs> right now because number one, it doesn't look like made up elvish. It looks like made up dwarvish. Let's be real here. Um, sure. <laughs> number two, goblins didn't originate from Vikings <laughs> or Vik <laughs> and like Nordic lore. I mean, I'm sure that Nordic lore has some type of some version goblin, of goblin, but sure. so does everything. The Germans have kobolds, Scottish have brownies, Scandinavians have Nisei, English has the hobgoblin, and a bunch of other fucks. Like, there's so many goblins from all around the world. You can't tell me that goblins came from somewhere. That's right. America has Donald Trump. <laughs> Topical. Um, anyways, let's also talk about the hands that the caught her. The tiny hands? The tiny no, Donald no, Trump we're not, hands? No, we're not sorry. talking about tiny Donald Trump hands. We're talking about the many hands that make faces, which is kind of cool when she's falling down that hole. Very cool. The helping hands, as they're called, The I helping guess. hands. Um, those hands, that was another scene that scared me when I was a kid. It's a little uncomfortable because they're, I mean, they're obviously very, the hands are very much trying to avoid a very particular part of the body as they grab her on the way down. Right, and let's be real about the the idea of hands groping a young woman who is sexually sure. in arrested development, sure. as I, this movie would tell us. I think that there is a metaphor there, mm -hmm. obviously. Um but yeah, I think it's it's really cool. They had a bunch of different prosthetics they put on the hands to kind of make them look weird and old and green and shitty. <laughs> but what I really want to say about the hands is that that scene kind of scared me when I was a kid. And the first time that I uh, 
you had to use nitrous is it nitrous oxide nitrous oxide when i was at the dentist dentist. the first time i was a kid and i had to have a, a tooth pulled or something and they gave me nitrous oxide and for my entire life, I will remember the hallucination that I had when I you was hallucinated. Under. I did. Wow. And well, I mean, not I, I guess hallucinated, but I just kind of like I closed my eyes and I was just like seeing sure. stuff. And I saw the hands, colorful hands reaching toward me as as. I'm sure in my brain it was me picturing the doctor getting ready to pull the tooth, but it was all of those hands from her falling down the helping hand thing. And that's what I saw when I used drugs the first time as a child. <laughs> <laughs> legally. You used le- legally. You legally did whippets at the uh, at the dentist's office. Right. That was the that was the first and for my whole life that's what I associate nitrous oxide with. And this scene. Let's talk about the oubliette because we, the helping hands kind of led her into the oubliette, which is a secret dungeon. It's mm-hmm. an actual thing. It's a secret dungeon with access only through a uh, trap door or in hatch. its ceiling. It's uh, also called a bottle dungeon. Okay. Um, but, and it's, I think, uh, hog, 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 what's his name? Hog? Oh man. I, I can only remember the Hogwarts. name that isn't right. They, Cause she calls him a Hogwart. Hoggle is his name. Hoggle. Okay. But, but she, she calls him Hogwart. She calls him multiple Hogwart, times, uh, which is actually, it, it actually comes from the famous British hum- humor book, the complete Molesworth by, uh, Jeffrey Willens and Ronald Cyril. I don't, that's probably the word Hogwart. Yeah. Well, Hogwarts spelled differently is um, also a type of lily. And it's also the school that Harry Potter attended um, alongside his lifelong J.K. Friends, Rowling on her Hermione website. Granger and Ron Weasley. Uh, uh, J.K. Rowling on her website said, In story, the location and name of Hogwarts were both chosen by Rowena Ravenclaw, who dreamed that a warty hog was leading her to the cliff by the lake. Oh, I see. Well, at least, at least we know where... She said in an interview she just made it up. Okay. Well, all right. Um, at least we know where she got that one. Oubliette, she, pro- she probably stole the name Harry Potter from the movie Troll. <laughs> it's, it's possible. Oubliette. Um, Comes from the French word... Uh, I'm going to fuck this up so say bad. Say it. I don't want to say it. You say it. Go ahead. Oubliette. I mean, it's way better than I would have done. Oubliette. Which means to forget. Oubliette. I can't get that the R. The French R fucks me up always. But it means to forget. And I think Hoggle actually says an oubliette is a place that you put someone when you want to forget them. Mm-hmm. And that works Which is because oubliette means to forget. And uh, these bottle dungeons were used for prisoners that the captors wish to forget. The first use in French dates back to 1374. Ah. Wow, thanks for the... In Walter Scott's Ivanhoe uh, in 1819 was the earliest adoption in English. Thanks. Now you know everything you wanted to never know about the word about oubliette. About the word oubliette. I, you know, I'd forgotten that the word oubliette was a word until rewatching this. I'm like, oh yeah, oubliette, that's a good one. I'll never use it. Unless I write a and d campaign. You gonna do that? What say lightning bolt? Yeah, I was about to actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was asking if you were going to write a D and D campaign. Uh, well, she she's climbing up this, these. Don't this act ladder. like you're better than that. She was she's climbing up this ladder behind Hoggle. They've just escaped Jareth and his machine thing, which would have totally killed them. Is he trying to kill her? 
Right now? No, Jareth. He sent that cleaning machine or oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, I totally would have killed her. I hate how close her face is to I his ass. I was just ass. about to say that. that. That's like the secret hidden theme of this movie, <laughs> is characters putting their faces too close to other characters' unspeakables. <laughs> It's really, like between like little goblin faces right next to David Bowie's moose knuckle and Jennifer Connelly practically eating out Hoggle's ass, this is not a children's film, ladies and gentlemen. No, no. I mean, if we're talking about uh, this, uh, this guy kind of, the guy we're about to see, the old dude, kind of looks like he's got a Skeksis on his head. A little bit. A little, little bit like that. Um, um, yeah, I, and, and at some point, this is the point in the movie where I became certain that this was not so much a movie as it was just a series of cool experimental puppets with a plot kind of loosely tacked on. Look at look at her revelation right here. It's not fair, Hoggle says, when she steals his, his jewels or whatever from him. And she says, no, it isn't, and has a look of revelation on her face. But that's the way it is. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you've gone on this adventure so you can learn how to be a dick? Like, <laughs> that's what we're supposed to... Life sucks, Life's children. not fair, and we can't... What's the point of even trying to do anything about it? Why even be a good person? Why even... Vote Republican. You're just kicking uh, kicking yeah, listeners out the door today. I don't know what's wrong with me? Those Captain America movies are pretty political, right? That's my excuse, right? Your excuse I is guess. Captain America. Um, Hoggle. Okay, let's talk about Hoggle. I want to talk about Hoggle because I don't uh, like the voice acting. I don't. I don't like it either. And I don't know who. So who does the voice of Hoggle? I believe it's Brian Henson. I think it's Jim Henson's brother that does the voice of Hoggle, and I don't think he does a very good job. I hate to say that because he's, I mean, he's very talented and he's, he's done great work before and since, and I just don't, I don't like the performance. It, fe- it doesn't feel like a character. It feels like a guy, uh, like a normal guy trying to do a funny goblin voice. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. If that makes sense. I'm going to put that out there. And like there that, is but. a difference, I think. I think oh, definitely. There, there is a difference. And and I don't yeah, I just don't like the way he sounds. I don't really like the character of Hoggle either. I've I just I never loved him as a kid. I love um Didymus. I love when she meets him. I haven't met Didymus yet. Sir and Didymus I love, is great. I love Sir Didymus and I love um uh oh shit, the big big dude. Uh <clears throat> Chewbacca. Oh fuck, what's his name? Man, you gotta make me look it up. We haven't met him either. He's like, he's like Ludo. Ludo. He's okay. He's like the kind of like the Manumana guy. Yeah, Manumana. <laughs> yeah, Ludo's great. Uh, and the, you know, like I said, I feel like this this movie is is uh, less about a movie and more about just let's see how many weird. The labyrinth ass, is pretty. This is pretty. Weird it's ass cool. puppets that we can throw in this thing. Um, yeah, I mean this this stuff looks good. I like that matte painting back there. I think the. The production design is 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 mostly um, good. It's I don't know. It's just you hold it up next to the dark crystal, and I don't know why you would watch this movie. Here, I, but I, feel, I don't feel like there's anything in this movie that you don't get out of the dark crystal. And I don't then know more. if that's totally true. I mean, I I like this. That okay. I like that this movie exists. I would be sad if. I mean, I guess I wouldn't know to be sad, but. If I knew that this movie didn't exist and it could have existed, I would have been sad. 
I like that this movie is there. I like what it does show. I've always enjoyed just watching her go through the labyrinth. I've always enjoyed just watching the puppets. They're this cool is a, puppets. This is a great movie to fall asleep to. Yes, I agree. I agree with that, but I don't say that is a bad thing. I know you don't. Like, and and I don't always either. But I don't know. I guess in in oh this case, oh my god, these little things fucked me up as a kid too. Oh, the little creatures on the, the little, end of the sticks. They look are... like they look like like mutated fetuses. <laughs> they look like something from a Cronenberg film. They do, and they've got the giant teeth, and they're on a stick, and they're being used to bite. And what's up with these rock? Oh, because Ludo has the rocks yeah, Ludo he can, can, can call them he so. can call the rocks because rocks so are they're going they're going to help her because she's going to help him what which character was it that said in that scene where they were talking to the guy with the Skeksis hat um there's a quote quite often it seems like we're not getting anywhere when we are who said that was it uh Hoggle? it might have been Hoggle um I think that kind of describes the movie <laughs> You're watching this movie and you're like, they're not getting anywhere. What the? What is even happening right now? What's going on? Oh, I guess they're making progress. Okay. Oh, another line I wanted to talk about. When she figures out the liar's paradox and she's like, I don't know. I figured it out. I never understood it before. I think I'm getting smarter. And I'm like, you never understood it before. What, what are In you In what situation about? did you have to deal with the, liar's, the paradox? liar's paradox? the liar's paradox. Is the play that she's reading when she's when she's acting are these things supposed to be the things that happen in that play you know maybe what is it they ever, don't give us enough context is it ever that, clear though. what the play is it's called the labyrinth oh okay or it's so called it's labyrinth the, okay. or something like that that's what the playbook says i assume it's a play i have to assume from the way she's reciting the lines and from the way she says she can never remember that line I mean, she has to use those lines specifically later. And I like the line that she has to use, the one that she always has trouble remembering. Um, I can't, I can never remember that line. And the line that she can never remember is you don't, you have no power over me. And I think it's cool that that's like, she can never remember that, that, you know, this evil character has no power over her and it's when she remembers that he has no power over right. her it's the the nightmare, nightmare on elm, on elm street right resolution yeah. yeah and and i think that's cool i think that's a fun little tie-in there um but but anyways yeah maybe she's acting out the play maybe these are all parts of the play I think that's possible i think that uh, they should have given us a little more though to to make that yeah, be real and for some for some of these lines to matter, like the line where she says, "I never understood it before." I don't think it's I don't think it's ever not clear in the Wizard of Oz, for example, which we did an episode on. Right, it's it's never unclear about this world kind of being influenced by the world that she came from. Right, we only really get one shot in the movie, and that's the kind of the the trucking shot that goes along all the things in her room before we see her Mm -hmm. sitting in front of a mirror to see all of those things, all the books and the little things and the labyrinth, you know, the maze board game or whatever it is. And the pointy doll that looks like the things she's going to find later that catch on fire and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's fine and all, but in the wizard of Oz, we have characters Characters. that are established before she ever goes to Oz. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she's, we've got the, the people that she works with at the farm and we've got the wicked lady that wants to kill her dog and all that kind of shit. Um, Annie M and uncle Henry are strangely absent from Oz for being such a big part of her life. But we do talk, (laughs) we're not talking about the wizard. We do talk about that in our episode. So go check that out. But, um, I mean, 
if this is but what I'm saying though is that maybe these are all just supposed to be events that take place in the play that she's been memorizing sure I, I it could be clearer I'm but it should be clearer if that is the case because sure. it, the reason it should be clearer the reason that it matters is that she says things in this movie that don't really make sense for her to say unless she was reciting a story or living out a story that she already knows also her reactions to things let's be real when she sees the talking worm and her her shocked moment is you're a worm aren't you <laughs> And it's like, how about you're a talking worm? You're you're talking, right? I can see that you're a worm, but you're talking. Let's make the correct observation, right? There. And whereas if this if this were a story she already knew because it was a play that she was re- rehearsing or reciting or just loved, I think these door, then it would make more sense for her before, to make those kind of observations. Before this scene is over, I really like these door knockers. Mm-hmm. I think they look really, really good. Yeah, I think so um, too. The the paint on them that looks like metal is so effective. The illusion is so effective that it's really kind of bizarre to see them move the way they do. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. In a weird kind of... I love it. It almost makes me look twice and go, is that CGI? But I know it's not, obviously. It's obviously a puppet. Um, Also very obviously influenced by A a Christmas Carol, I think. Yeah, yeah. When Scrooge sees... uh, What's his name? Marley. Is is that his name? Robert Marley? Bob Marley? (laughs) It's not Bob Marley. It's the, the guy you used to work with that died. Uh, you can also hear our episode on uh, the Muppets Christmas Carol that we did a couple of years ago. If you want to hear us talk about doorknobs coming or door knockers coming to life. Um, that I, I did want to mention the Ludo costume. I think the Ludo costume is really great. Uh, and I think it's very obviously inspired by Maurice Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because we saw the book on her, you know. Right. Yeah on her table. Um, I love Spike Jones's film. And again, we're going to, we're going to get to that in an episode, uh, at some point, but I would have really liked to see what Jim Henson would have done. Yeah. If he wouldn't had made, that have been cool. And if he had, if he had just been around for longer, I feel like that's something that probably would have happened. Would have been a very different movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Completely very, different movie. Probably have a lot more, Humor in it. Would have been maybe for children <laughs> yes. instead of not for children. Yeah, yeah, yes, I think so. You want to put a class of uh, elementary school students Ooh. on your bad side this. really fast. I've told this story before, but I thought it would, I was a substitute teaching one summer at your school, and uh, I was given a second grade class, and we had some extra time, and I thought it would be just the greatest idea to put on Spike Jones's Where the Wild Things Are for a room full of seven year olds. And it took about 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so. I don't know. He was maybe just, he just got to the, you know, titular where the wild things are mm-hmm. um, before the class just str- mutiny, straight up mutiny. <laughs> Mr. Dustin, this is the most boring movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay. All right. All right. So I put on Sword in the Stone and all was right with the world. <laughs> Um, anyway, where are we? Uh, let's talk about her mom. All right, let's so, talk about her mom. We didn't really get into it that much. Yeah, so. so way earlier in the beginning of the movie, we saw a scrapbook. Um, and the scrapbook that she's looking through has Linda Williams. Her mom has pictures of her and pictures of David Bowie. Together, yes. Which, if you've never caught that before, then probably we should have been faster and let you know right How up How is front, a kid going to notice that? Like, like that's No, the a thing. kid wouldn't notice that. Yeah, 
Um, I, and I don't know if you're even really supposed to notice it unless you're just a geek like us and you're looking for these kind of things. But that's such an important it piece is. of character. Oh, it is important, but it's also really fucked up. And we're going to tell you it all is. about it's why real, it's like, really there's fucked a, up. There's a weird psychosexual component to this movie that oh, yeah. bothers oh, me. Oh, penis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> framing. It's also the way he's standing. He's just he's like, just got it I just pointed think I'm going to thrust my hips out this way and show my, my cock off, right? push the penis out uh so so david bowie is in pictures with her mom yes and and there are playbills and stuff from her mom actors theater actors they're both theater actors and the the headlines in the newspaper clipping say things like on off romance back together the onstage kiss william's love it's all over blah 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 and in the novelization of this movie they oh they spell it out a lot more are, are we getting into novelization talk just a little bit. That's exciting. Let's, um, let's keep going. So, so in the novelization of the movie, Linda, an actress in the theater, married businessman Robert Williams sometime prior to 1970. In either 1970 or 71, Sarah was born. Um, uh, however, in the 80s, their relationship fell apart and... Her and Sarah stayed close, um, and during her career, Linda met an actor called Jeremy, and Linda, Jeremy, Jareth, right? Uh, Okay, so Linda and Jeremy embarked on an affair, and that's when her marriage ended with Sarah's father. Um, But Sarah and Linda stayed close together, and apparently her 15th birthday, they were together. Very... Oh, for her quinceanera. (laughs) Um participating in the glamorous world of the theater uh but yeah so so that's her relationship with her mom in the novelization they give a little bit more of it um we're going to talk about why that's fucking weird that that character that her mom had an affair with is david bowie Mm -hmm. um but first we're going to talk about how much i hate this song and i hate this scene uh here's another scene another musical number that could be totally excised out of the movie and would change nothing. This was another scene that I guess there were a lot of scenes in this movie that as a child bothered me. You know me. what? I mean, like I say that, but this is this is really like a proceed. Obviously, it's a it's a movie about her going through a maze. So you really could excise any one portion of the movie and the movie would still work because that's how the movie works. Well, and it's the it's the kind of maze where it's not, you know, it's not like you have to make this choice correctly sure. or that choice correctly. It's a labyrinth. You, there are many yeah, ways exactly. to get but through it. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. It, like, so. like, I guess I don't mean it in that way where the movie wouldn't make sense or something like that. I just feel like you don't lose anything when you lose the scene where the weird fire... What are they? Fire goblins or something like that? There's a name for them. They have a name. They have a name? Of course they have a name. I don't like them. I never the one. They're the ones that take off their heads and stuff, and their limbs go in all sorts of weird places. I mean, there were two that had their butts connected just a second ago. And I always forget about this musical number. I do too. I think it. Looks, Thankfully, it looks terrible. It's a terrible song, and it's so it's so bad. It seems it still looks like it's part of the finished film, and it looks like something that was supposed to be cut out. And like the effects compositing wasn't refined at all. Like this is this looks like a like a DVD bonus feature. Like oh, mm-hmm. watch this weird music number that they took out of the movie. They should have just taken it out of the movie. Oh, they totally should have. They should have. Definitely, definitely my least favorite scene. 
just just for uh, you know trimming this movie down to a cool 90 minutes because it's it's not a cool 90 minutes it's a hundred minutes which is fine I mean whatever but yeah I guess I guess there were a lot of scenes when I was a kid that bothered me and this was another one that just I just didn't like it it made me uncomfortable and I didn't like it um, and for good reason now watching it as an adult because it's just not a good scene and there just aren't good characters and and they're just it's I mean it's just about taking your head off yeah. I'm sure there's some we could stretch it and put some symbolism in there that has to do with having her cloud in the head or her cloud in the, her head, head in the, the clouds. clouds and refusing to take her head off and throw it around or whatever. But but I just don't feel like there's, it. Um, they, they do some weird little like kind of macabre tricks with uh, with eyeballs where they're poking their uh-huh. eyeballs out and swallowing them and popping them back up, which just reminded me of Beetlejuice, uh, which is another episode that we did mm-hmm. uh, our very first episode, actually. Um there's a little eyeball gag in that that I, I feel like could have very well been inspired by the, the scene in this movie. Um, uh, did you see the, the the rocks, like the perspective art on the rocks that looks like David Bowie's um, face? Oh, no. When she oh, comes out Oh, yes. Of no, no, no. I know what you're talking about. It yes. Was actually, when, she, when Hoggle and him are talking. It's like this split sculpture. Yeah, it was actually invented by Jim Henson uh, and Debbie the Roboteer. For Labyrinth, that's that's how she's credited, I guess. Uh, it looks like a series of rocks until the camera pans, you know, to the correct angle. I'm sure you've seen stuff like this online. Like mm-hmm. there's a, there's a pretty popular one where it's like just a big pile of junk, and when you look at it through this little lens, everything lines up, and it's like a portrait of Van Gogh or something. Um, but yeah, it was actually yeah. There's some puzzles in the Drake games where you have to do that. Yeah, it was it was developed over several nights um, just to get that one shot. But it's pretty it's pretty impressive. Um, the only problem with it is that like it's only made up of it looks like three rocks and even when they're not lined up you can still tell it's like well that's still obviously an eye <laughs> you know and that's obviously a mouth on that rock yeah but um, um yeah. anyway so let's go back a little bit so the idea of the goblin king comes from this guy her mom had a romantic relationship with if we're supposed to to yeah we're going to talk about that because i think it's so important to this movie and important to what's weird about this movie um so you know because you have to take a little bit of an oz stance whether or not we're supposed to believe that she's reading from a playbook and this is part of the playbook that she that she was supposed to be practicing or just loved or whatever we don't know that but we can we can infer that these things come from a real world because we see the toys and stuff and like her dog is about to show up her dog's going to be here her dog merlin is didymus sir didymus's of course her dog is named merlin um uh, but anyways, though, so so a lot of this world is supposed to reflect the real world in some way. And after you see the pictures of her mother with David Bowie specifically, obviously... Or whatever character he was, he was Jeremy, in the real world. Yeah, Jeremy. Jeremy. Right. Um, then, then, I mean, obviously it's the same actor, so we have to believe that it's based off of the same character, right? I mean, that's the Wizard of Oz thing. So we have to believe it's based off the, of the same character. The idea of the Goblin King comes from this guy her mom had a romantic relationship with. Kind of weird, right? Yeah. Since she has a romantic relationship with the Goblin King. And don't try and tell me she doesn't. 
because she does. And there are many reasons. And if you haven't caught him, I'm about to spell them out to you. There are many reasons why she has a romantic relationship. We are supposed to infer a romantic relationship between Sarah and the it's Goblin kind of a, It's kind of framed as a for, forbidden kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, some of the things that 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 frame it for us is she says it in her story. Um, when she's, when she's talking about, uh, uh, the goblin King and stuff, she says it specifically in her story, um, about them falling in love. What's the line? But what no one knew is that the King of the goblins had fallen in love with the girl. Oh yeah. In her narration, in her narration to the mirror before she gets taken away. She says that specifically that the King of the goblins had fallen in love with the girl. And those scenes, like there's a scene, there's a ballroom scene, like a masquerade Mm -hmm. scene that's coming up. We haven't seen it yet. And I feel like though, I mean, it's obvious those scenes are very sexually charged. Uh huh. Um, and it's a love song that's playing in the background. And it's, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say this, it's a little bit hard to watch knowing now that David Bowie coerced sex from girls. Jennifer Connelly's age; she was 15 when she made this, when she was when she starred in this movie. And there's this really great piece on on Thrillist uh, called "I Lost My Virginity to David Bowie: Confessions of a 70s Groupie." And it's it's a great read, and it's all about how this girl, who was 15 years old, uh, basically got into the groupie scene. Um, and it's you know it's you, you can take what you will away from it. I feel like the 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 interviewer, the people that you know th- on thrillist side of things, they feel like there was some wrongdoing done there. But on the side of the groupie, she's a you know grown woman now, and she even looks back on it and says, "No, I knew what I was doing." So like. It's, there's a there's a clear balance there, and I feel like the reader can come away from it and make their own mind up. Uh, but from where I stand watching this movie and knowing that that's the history that he had in his professional life and his real right, life. That he was an adult man that fucked 15-year-old girls. It, it's, it, I don't know, it, it's worrisome, it's bothersome, it makes this movie more uncomfortable than it already kind of is because those scenes are so clearly sexually charged. And they are. The song that they dance together and they've got the whole thing where like they're looking for each other in the masquerade ball and they're there. She can't find him and she's trying to find him. It looks like a classic scene out of a fairy tale where the where the princess is looking for Prince Charming through the throngs of people. Sure. And the song playing behind them says things about falling in love. It says things like within your heart I'll place the moon within your heart like it is a love song it is about him trying to get her to fall in love with him um and and it's kind of weird and then again remember we set this movie up we set it up with the stepmother saying those lines about you 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 need need to go on on dates you need to your problem is you're not going on dates with boys i wish you were going on dates with boys and so we are setting her up as a character that needs to find romance so she can grow up. Um, and then we have her in a romantic relationship and it is a romantic relationship. And I even felt that when I was a kid, I yeah. felt like it was, and I didn't feel like anything was wrong because when I was a kid watching this, she was so much older than me sure. that it seemed like she was old it enough. It seemed like it was right. You know, you know, like, it's totally, yeah. it's totally fine for her to be in. It's fine. It's fine. She's an adult. She's basically an adult. No, she's fucking 15. Yeah. Right. And so then when you are older and you're actually an adult, then you look back at 15 and you're like, oh, God, it's a child. Um, And then it's really fucked up because he's not a child. He is completely an adult. And it's weird. 
it's weird it's weird and we are supposed to draw that connection let's talk about the bog of eternal stench and all of the bungholes that are there are so many bungholes in so this many bungholes just farting in this bog and you know she was hanging over the bog just a second ago and ludo calls the rocks and the rocks are they say that if you t- even touch the bog of eternal stench you will stink forever and he calls the rocks over, and they're very clearly wet. They are clearly wet with bog stench. With bog funk. And she's step. I mean, those, at the very least, those Birkenstocks are, are ruined. ruined. Are ruined. And Ludo, what's Ludo going to do? Those are his regular feet. His regular ass feet. He can't take them off. <sighs> I, it totally takes me out. Totally takes me out of the movie. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. So let's talk about the word Didymus. Oh, okay. For I, Sir, Sir I, Didymus. I knew you would look that up. Um, uh, let's also just first briefly talk about how Sir Didymus is my favorite character in this movie. Of course he is. I think he's I mean, adorable. He's, he's, Ludo's got to be mine. Ludo's also fan. Ludo is a close runner up, but Sir Didymus is my favorite character. I love him riding the dog. Look how cute that is. That is adorable. Um, I love the stuff he says. Before this day, I have never met my match in battle. <laughs> Talking about fighting Ludo. It's just, it's adorable. I love how how confident he is in everything he does in like every scene. <laughs> and like even when he's always, like he's totally trapped and there's no way he's going to win. He's always laughing like, oh, I've got you now. And it just, he's like so ridiculously um, unintelligent. And that's adorable. Uh, so why doesn't she recognize her own dog though? I mean, that's a, that's a Dorothy Gale thing. Like Dorothy, it's not that Dorothy doesn't recognize Toto. She brings Toto with her, but like all of the people in her Mm -hmm. life, she doesn't recognize, she doesn't recognize in Oz, but yeah. Again, she doesn't react to the fantasy world at all. She doesn't react to any of it. That's so true. Does Dorothy react? I'm trying to remember. She reacts. I mean, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she definitely reacts. She reacts. When to she the sees place. the Munchkins for the first time, she's. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's very like kind of a, um, what's the word? It's a very prim. Mm-hmm. She's kind of a very prim way and proper kind of way of. Oh my, you know that kind, kind of kind of shit. the way Alice reacts to Wonderland. Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but no, Sarah doesn't react at all. Why a peach? I'm going to talk about Didymus in a second, but why a peach here? I looked up, I was trying to figure out, I I was sure that there was going to be some kind of symbolic reason for peaches being... Peaches are sexual. But they're not forgetful. This is a peach that's supposed to make her forget. No, but I think that they're, they're, they're trying to, they're kind of crossing wires a little bit with... Um, like the idea of the poison apple, but making that apple a peach because a peach is a far more sexual uh, fruit than an apple is. I mean, typically like some lore and stuff with peaches in Chinese and Japanese mythology, they symbolize longevity, immortality, fertility. Egyptians used them as offerings to the god of tranquility. Romans associated them with Venus, which is where we're getting our sexuality and stuff from. It also Um, looks like a, a, a crevice in the human body. Right. Um, that, did you know, here's other random information you don't want. Uh, a student of Aristotle gave the, the, the current name to the peach. Wow. He, he was the reason for it. Um, in, in a student of Aristotle named it the Persian apple because he thought I think it this, came from Persia. I want to mention it. I think this is the last time we get to see it. This, the juggling that he does, that, that uh, Jareth does with the little glass balls, it's not actually David Bowie doing that. That's a juggler who is just kind of crouched next to him or it looks behind good. him, putting his arms up near 
David Bowie. And, and near David Bowie's penis. And Well, I mean, you can't be in this movie unless you're going to be near his penis. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's in your it's contract. Right? Yeah. It's in actually, it's in David Bowie's writer. Never to touch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can only look. But and get very uncomfortably close. <laughs> in fact, never stop looking. <laughs> but don't even reach for it. <laughs> it's it's like a dog. It'll I mean it'll bite you if you like reach for it. No sudden moves. Near the penis. Near the penis. Um uh, but yeah, that was actually a, a juggler who's kinda he couldn't see his hands playing or anything. With David like Bowie's that. balls. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> It All looks right. good that's, though. That, it looks it. good. That's the end of the joke. Here yeah, there. Were, I mean, I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything else about the peaches. Just that the the ba- some cultures use them as a demon repelling agent. The balls, the little glass balls, are, I, I think, also very much kind of a nod to, uh, uh, the Wizard of Oz. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Glenda's floaty ball that she floats around in mm-hmm. and, you know, right. the, the, and uh, the crystal ball, the crystal ball that the witch, the Wicked Witch of the West looks through. Um, but yeah, so we're finally at the masquerade scene where there's a, that looked like a Tengu mask, like the Japanese yokai. Yeah, it did. Um, some of the, some of these masks are pretty I mean and I love I love the juxtaposition in this scene of the really beautiful gowns and the really disturbing masks the very grotesque masks and stuff along with these beautiful gowns and and beautiful costumes I love that juxtaposition um I think it's really cool I love the way this scene looks I just hate the song and I hate the insinuation that this song has. I, I don't think that we can spot her. I wasn't able to spot her, but one of the choreographers for the film uh, is in this scene uh, as one of the dancers, and she was credited as Cheryl McFadden. She also appears, uh, actually, uh, actually one year after she appeared in this, uh, she was cast in Star Trek The Next Generation, mm-hmm. uh, and she changed her stage name from Cheryl McFadden to Gates McFadden, and she played Dr. Beverly Crusher. Oh, really? And she played that role for six of the seven seasons. And she's in here series. somewhere? Yeah, she's one of the dancers. Huh. Gates <clears throat> McFadden is one of these dancers. Which is pretty cool. I wish I could spot her. But she's in a mask, so fucking how would I do right. that? Right. Um, I mean, obviously, this is a nod to to Cinderella. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, very much so. Even the dress she's wearing and stuff is very Cinderella-esque. But again, that means that... Look at this look. Look at the, the looks we have and stuff. The way, the way that they're approaching each other. This is supposed to be sexually charged. I believe we call that eye-fucking. A fifteen-year-old. Right. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, like this scene. I think this scene is where that very strong, uh, strangely strong for a movie of this type, psychosexual component uh, kind of comes into play. Where he's in her head, like, and and if you want to read it this way, I don't think you have to read it this way uh, because it is fantasy. But you could also read it as he has drugged her at this point. Right. You're right. No, you know, he has. I mean, that, that, he has drugged her at yeah, this point. Yeah, I mean, he, he has drugged he her. He has technically drugged her. Yes. In order to get into her head. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And and here's another Cinderella moment with the clock and stuff striking, um, her realizing what time it is. We, this well, we've is, got, we've this got is a flashback. Of, uh, 
we've got kind of uh, the 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 crossroads where Cinderella and Alice in Wonderland meet. Right. Uh, kind of bringing this scene to a close where the um, the clock strikes thirteen or what is it? No, it's, it strikes twelve. Maybe she's got like an hour left, and then she crashes through the mirror and she's going to fall. Um, very much Alice like in Alice Wonderland, in Wonderland, right. as you can see here. Um, uh, I was trying to remember. There's a, an earlier moment in the movie, right at the beginning, where she, where the clock chimes at the beginning of the movie, and she has to run home, and she doesn't because of how late it is, and her dress gets ruined as she's running home. Right, and that's another nod to Cinderella, um, and again another tie into that moment in the movie where she is wearing a beautiful dress and the clock strikes and she has to leave same thing so I think that kind of stuff in this movie is cool I think those tie-ins are fun I love it I love um, I love deconstruction stories I think that deconstruction and fantasy and sci-fi is is like the the creme de la creme for geeks right because you get to sit there and you get to pick it all out and you get to be like oh my god that's totally a reference to this and that's a reference to that i feel like we've spent so long um exploring tropes and what we can do with tropes and playing with tropes that that we have to go the opposite way for a while now we kind of have to walk in the opposite direction and i feel like and then it'll come back i feel like deconstruction is like currently the most important thing that we're doing with Mm -hmm. genre fiction just in general yeah i think so that's probably that's probably fair and i think it's i think i think once we've done that for a while uh and we come to understand the genres you know the genre fiction that we've been consuming all this time Mm -hmm. a little bit better then we're probably going to start walking in the other direction and doing and we're kind of reaching farther and doing weirder more interesting things and then it'll probably swing back and then we'll start deconstructing the new tropes and the new ideas that we've been exploring and and that's just you know the cyclical nature nature of creativity and and it's totally fine um i think this this movie has some of that in it i think they're are maybe not deconstruction but there are at least nods to to other fairy tales and 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 kind of flips them kind of makes them weird and dark and and fun and i like that stuff in this movie i like the references to alice in wonderland and cinderella and snow white and all of that stuff i like all of it um uh I guess I just don't like the messages in this movie. That's I don't either. that's my biggest problem. I don't like the message that that being into fantasy and being imaginative and creative, um, being artsy even is 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 goes hand in hand with immaturity, right? And uh, and irresponsibility. And, and even the little bit of backpedaling that the movie does on on that right at the end isn't enough. It's not enough. It's not enough damage control on the themes that they've built up to that point mm-hmm. already. Um, Her whole adventure is learning how to be responsible, or at least it's supposed to be. But I don't think it even really does that very well. I don't think we even really see that we see her learn to trick her friends to get what she wants i like this junk lady character that we're seeing now yes i, I feel like she's really strongly uh she influenced the baba joe character in the force awakens do you remember that character he's just a background alien on jakku and he's carrying a bunch of junk on his back okay yeah mm-hmm. um I, I feel like this was this was probably a very strong influence on that. But she's also uh, really similar to uh, what's that? Uh, Agra. Agra mm-hmm. from the Dark yeah. Crystal. Um, Agra or uh, yeah, Agra. Agra. Um, it reminds me of her. It, it, that I even had read that it might be a reused puppet from 1982. Oh wow! Okay. 
And what she's doing here basically scavenging is scavenging goblin is the name of the, this goblin is a scavenging goblin. Agnes okay. is her name. Very close to Agra, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and she's obviously like she's taking all of these things in Sarah's room and piling them on top of her and kind of tr- and turning her into a, a scavenging lady. goblin, Try, trying to turn her lady. into a junk lady. Yeah. It's cool. It's a cool scene. I love how I never noticed that until this viewing that all this stuff is kind of sticking to her as as the junk lady's putting it there. Yeah, it, it is definitely sticking to her, uh, much like it does to the junk lady. And I, I feel like the you know the metaphor there is obvious, where you know she's kind of carrying all these things from her childhood, and, and being she needs child. to let some of them go. And it's part and it's part of what you have a problem with in this in this movie is that you know you have to let go of your imagination to grow up or something like and that. And you, I, I I do have a problem with that. I have a problem. I mean, come on. You're going to get rid of your teddy bears. Let's, I mean, let's hope you're going to, you're going to get rid of. I still have have a a couple. You have a teddy bear. I have a couple very, and I'm not saying you need to get rid of all your toys. You absolutely don't. Um, Save them and hope that your children will like them and then be disappointed when they don't and sell them on eBay. But uh, those Polly Pockets are worth, some of them are worth some money now. So what about my Mighty Maxes? A couple of them. A couple of them are. But not like the Polly Pockets, Probably right? Probably not. <laughs> same um, shit. It's the same little tiny choking hazard. That's the same. That's it. <laughs> no, it's not. Polly Pockets were way cooler. And way more dangerous. Um. Anyways, they were equally dangerous. And anyways, what I'm trying to say is that it, it, the idea this movie has that you need to get rid of that stuff is outrageous. It's like, yes, of course, you need to get rid of your toys as you're growing up, but that happens naturally. By the time I was 15, 16 years old and was starting to like, well, fuck, we were dating. Right. Starting to fuck. <laughs> I don't know. The way your sentence kind of ran into the other sentence was a little weird. But. I wasn't trying to run it into the other sure. sentence there. Okay. Um, but we, I mean, we were dating by that point. I wasn't playing with, with my Barbie dolls anymore. Like, duh. I was into boys and stuff. That Like, I, I grew up. And I think that happens naturally for most people. You don't have to learn how to throw away your toys. And I don't think that... Well, for most people... I, of course, there's a, of, course, of course there's, there's always the exception, an exception, but but, but I'm uh, my bigger problem with this is the insinuation is the symbolism behind it. It's the symbolism, which is the symbolism of her throwing needing to throw away her toys means that she needs to get rid of this childish stuff, and that's the kind of attitude where people have you, where where you know people associate fantasy and children's literature with being childish and with being immature. And that's a huge problem for me. It, if you're reading children's literature that doesn't work on an adult level, then you're reading shit children's literature. Let yes. me just tell you right now. If you're reading fantasy that only works for kids, then you're reading shit fantasy. So so obviously, like, that... Oh, God, that message pisses me off <laughs> a lot. Uh, I, did you notice that... Um, uh, what's Didymus, what's his dog's name? Ambrosius? Ambrosius. Is that right? Ambrosius neighs like a horse. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> Is it cute? I love that Ambrosius is so scared of everything and runs away all and the time. Be- and it's so and that Didymus is so brave. It's so obvious that he's a puppet. Like he goes from being a real dog to, to being a really a obvious puppet. puppet. But this is a, this is a fun little sequence where they've mm-hmm. got a a big practical, like a real, actually there uh, iron golem um, that's being operated by a little goblin that's inside. That's very cool. It is cool. It's very um, cool. 
but yeah, you saw this little little a little bone for the steampunk nerds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think any any giant golem operated by a golem or operated by a goblin or small person or creature or something is definitely a bone for the steampunk nerds. <laughs> Uh, what do you think about the ADR in this movie? Because There's a lot of it. I feel like they looped every single line in this movie. And for, for the puppets, obviously, the puppets were just voiced. Right, like, like, yeah. You know, you can... You can you know, loop lines for the puppets all day long, and the audience mem- an audience member is going to be probably none the wiser. Right, of course. But I feel like they did that with all the human actors, too. Mm-hmm. And it's not like there's that many, just a couple, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really obvious to me. Yeah. No, I think so. And I think a lot of it's pretty, it's, it's pretty poor looping. And if their goal was to do all of... Like, I understand if you're going to loop all of the lines in your movie... That's a really big undertaking, but I, I, it's it's like it's like spaghetti western bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, and they're not even speaking Italian. Just in case you don't know, we're we're about to have a super important um, uh, cameo here. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Is it a dark crystal cameo? No. Oh, okay. Because I've got it. There's a dark crystal cameo coming up. Oh of. no, I'm I'm sure it's way better than that. Okay, it's when is very, it? I mean, it's the very next scene. Once they go through the doors here, if you blink, you'll miss it. What is it? <laughs> is it something? Is it something I'm going to be angry about? You'll be mad at me for saying it's a cameo. <sighs> okay. Well, when they go through the doors here, let me just put that out there. Um, uh, when they go through the doors here in just a second, you can see some animals running around, and uh, one of them is uh, called a crawly. Here we go right here. Look into the distance. In the distance? I Up the street. I don't see it. It's what? just going to be a kitty that runs by. That's all it God was. God damn it. <laughs> That little crawly thing. Do you see that crawly thing crawling on the ground? That's called a crawly, which is a furry shellfish that's eaten by the Skeksis during the feast in uh, Oh yeah, the Dark Crystal. Yeah, the kitty was just a regular kitty, and the clock does say thirteen. You were right. There are thirteen hours on the clock. Let's talk about the number thirteen. You want to talk about the number thirteen? Oh God, are we gonna do? Are we getting into numerology and labyrinth? Okay. I mean, just just a little bit. Um, so. She gets 13 hours before her brother becomes one of the goblins forever. But Um, does that mean he becomes a goblin or does that mean he just gets a power mullet? um, And a cod piece. Well, look at all these dwarves pissing off of this fountain. There's a lot of pissing in this movie. We get introduced to Hoggle. Pissing. Pissing. Uh, and then there's a dwarf pissing fountain. We just walked by it. Which which I'm pretty sure... um, a puppet pissing movie is something that that uh, uh, Peter Jackson would make, and maybe not Jim Henson. Mm. But I, you know, I've been wrong Whatever. before. Um, so number thirteen. Thirteen is of course a popular number in fantasy. Just like three. Three is also a popular number in fantasy because of religious, mythological, mathematical, isn't it the number, et cetera. Isn't it the number reasons? of rings of power that exist? Um, the number in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yes. Is it? So, okay. We're going to be bad geeks here. Ooh, hold on. Nine for the... Oh, shit. Don't. Oh, why'd you fuck yourself? No, I think there's more. Because there's nine ring wraiths, and that's the men. Mm-hmm. Uh, four for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. Oh, wait. 
three 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 rings for the elfin kings under the skies four for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone nine for mortal men doomed to die and one for the dark lord on his dark throne that's 17 yeah, yeah. oh shit i just outed myself you hard. did well but you also you also came back because you were able to you know recite all the specifics and I think that's more impressive than remembering in the land of Mordor where the, the shadows, shadows lie. lie um god did I throw you off bad I'm sorry lightning bolt <laughs> <laughs> nicely done uh so so 13 is the sixth prime number um 13 witches in a coven typically in Wicca there are 12.41 lunar phase cycles per solar year. And so don't even, why are you rolling? God, fuck you. <laughs> Some say that 13 represents femininity because the 13 menstrual cycles in a year, we're talking about like those lunar cycles again. I would, I would buy that before any of the others because I feel like this is about, really about young womanhood. But we adopted a solar calendar, of course. Uh, so, so also a year with 13 full moons instead of 12 was a problem for monks who were making calendars. Oh, we're about to see the, the hint for this episode. So, uh, yep. This shot right here. There we go. That was the hint for this episode. And two people got it on Facebook. Taylor Nelson, uh, who doesn't has a, have a plug for anything except for us. Just plug ourselves. So listen to popcorn poops oh, too late. You're already, you're already listening to pop popcorn popcorn poops uh taylor nelson uh who actually gifted us with a wonderful gift yes it's of t-shirts a pretty awesome gift um uh, she said they were late christmas presents but they were matching or almost matching uh dark crystal t-shirts of fizz gig yeah and, <laughs> and they're wonderful and they are they are super wonderful and we're going to soon take a picture with them on we will we'll, we'll put them on and, and take a picture it. and post because it because fizz gig deserves it and on twitter uh cinematic randomness uh Correctly guessed the hint, so uh, he's actually one of our poop pals. Go check out his website at cinematic random cinematic randomness dot com if I can say that. All right, let's continue. In Italy, thirteen is a lucky number. Look at that skyline. I love awesome. the goblin skyline. Awesome. Just yeah. so busy and crowded with the shit town, and the goblin town, crooked and skyline. twisted. That's yeah. great. Super fantastic. Yeah. I love the houses. I love the way they look. Um. And the guards, like I like the design on these guards. I don't, I don't With know. They're weird, like dragon creature things that they're riding. Yeah, I don't know. They, I think it's probably their big heads and the spears or something. But they've got kind of a winky quality to them, like the Wizard of Oz, the witches guards from the mm, Wizard of Oz. Okay. Uh, although they were wearing like big fuzzy hats or something. I don't know. There's there, there's something about them that reminds me of that. But it's probably because this movie draws so much on. Yeah. Alice and Wizard of Oz and all that kind of stuff that I'm just kind of in that that headspace right now. But anyway, do you have more on 13? No, not really. Okay. I have stuff on fairies. We talked about the, or we didn't talk about the fairies in that earlier scene. Oh, no, we didn't where Hoggle Man, I was. I love that moment. I love their little death screams when Hoggle's, uh... <laughs> He's when he's squirting them like, with the poison. spraying them with like pesticide and he's killing the fairies. She's freaking out. She's like, what are you doing to those beautiful fairies? Again, not really f- commenting on the fact that, hey, these are fairies. Right. Again. But, yeah. What did you, ex- and then of course one of them bites her. What did you expect fairies do? I thought it did nice things like granting wishes. Shows what you know, he says. <laughs> and and for real though, yes, shows what you know. Um, because... Uh, 
way too much to explain. If you feel like learning about fairies, go get yourself a book on fairies and read it because that's about what you need to know to know about fairies. But I mean, depending on what culture you're looking at, you could be talking about a demoted pagan deity, a spirit of the dead, an elemental, a hidden people, a supernatural race. Um, Most of the early stuff about fairies is about protecting yourself from fairies, from their malice and their pranks, and also not offending them. Uh, Any form of sudden death back in the day might stem from a fairy kidnapping, people would say, with the apparent corpse being a wooden stand-in with the appearance of the kidnapped person. Consumption, like tuberculosis, was sometimes blamed on the fairies forcing young men and women to dance every night, causing them to waste away from lack of rest. In Scottish lore, you've got the Seely Court, um, which are the more, like, the nicer fairies, but still dangerous, and then the Unseely Court, which are the dangerous, malicious ones. A lot of lore with changelings when you're talking about fairies. I love cha- I love changeling lore. I think changeling lore is so interesting. Um, but they can be so many, so many mythical creatures. And I think it's cool that this movie plays off of them from the way that fairies are supposed to be, which is kind of evil. I want to retract a statement I made before about, uh, David Bowie not really being a great actor. I think that he didn't have very many opportunities to show what a great actor that he could have been. Um, but I think the one performance that showed that he could have been a truly great actor had he chosen to focus on that is The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is a pretty good movie with a fucking great performance by David Bowie. Mm-hmm. So I just want to I want to put that out there. I, I got, love that movie. I kind of made a passing jab at, at, at Zoolander and, you know. You did. I did. You did make a passing jab. Um, which is fine. He is also good in Zoolander. In his cameo, <laughs> but uh, no, the man who fell. But you're right. It's probably. I mean, it's just the way this movie is. I mean, the things they give him to do. You're right. It's just he just ha- doesn't have a whole lot to work with. Yeah, I don't think he's super good in the hunger. Like, but he's, also he's, you can have a good actor just be shitty in a movie too. I mean, come on. So sure, sure. But I, I, I don't know. I, do, I just don't feel of the few roles that he took. Um, and I mean, granted, I haven't seen Merry Christmas with Mr. Lawrence, which is supposed to be uh, one of his better roles of the few that he took. But um, of the ones I have seen, um, I'm not a huge fan of this one. Not a huge fan of the hunger. But the man who fell to earth proves that he. he he really he did have something um but you know so i just want to i want to retract that statement that i made before uh we so we're kind of in the finale here we're going up the stairs going up the sideways stairs going down the stairs yep um so the return return of the sideways stairs from from our old boy episode if you go back and listen to that uh and this is very obviously uh, influenced by M.C. Escher's relativity drawing, which was actually framed, on, maybe framed, I don't know, it was, it was up on her wall in her bedroom next to her bed. Oh, was it? I didn't notice. So yeah, it, actually was, it was pretty big, so it's, um, yeah, that's just another thing that was seen in her bedroom before that uh, has found a place in this dream world of hers. So is this a dream? Is that what this is? Do we do we determine? Because in The Wizard of Oz, it's a dream, and that was very obviously a a reverse shot of that baby I catching that, that sphere. Um, the reverse shot, though, I have to give props. It's, it's very obviously a reverse shot, but it's a very cleverly done reverse shot because it's a 
uh, a normal shot combined with a reverse shot. Mm-hmm. The first part of that shot where the 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 ball, the glass ball, uh, falls into frame from after Jareth throws it is actually a normal shot, and it goes behind the stairs. And then the illusion starts where it bounces up onto the stairs and up into the baby's hand. Mm-hmm. And when the baby catches it, it's very obviously a reverse shot. But they kind of they cut those two together seamlessly in order to create that illusion, which I thought was. Uh, a little more clever than your run-of-the-mill reverse shot effect. I didn't talk about Sir Didymus's name, so it could. It has be... to do with Ambrosius. Didymus Ambrosius is. Oh, I didn't. I didn't look up the Ambrosius part. Oh, what th- do you know? Do you know something I don't know? Uh, I thought I had a note about Didymus Ambrosius, which is the first and last name of uh, something or another. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not prepared for this. I've got the note somewhere. All, all I, I just looked up Didymus by itself. I didn't. I should have looked up Ambrosius, but I didn't. Um, I was just looking up what Didymus could be, and there were like a gajillion things that it could be. Thomas the Apostle was also called Didymus. Um, Didymus the Blind was an ecclesiastical writer of Alexandria. Uh, Didymus Matusa what oh. is the Minister of National Security in Zimbabwe. Sorry, this is what it, this, this this is what it was. It's not Didymus Ambrosius. It's um, um, Merlin is the name of her dog, and in this world, the dog's name is Ambrosius, and it's Sir Didymus's mount. And uh, in Geoffrey of Monmouth's The History of Kings of Britain, Merlin's name is Merlin Ambrosius. Oh, that's right. I did look. Th- I looked up stuff about Merlin, and I didn't even. Right. I it's, didn't even look that it's up. It's Merlin's last didn't name is Ambrosius. Connection. So in the real world, the dog's name is Merlin, and in the fantasy world, the dog's name is Ambrosius. That's so funny that you. Yeah, because I have Merlin Ambrosius in my notes right here, um, from written in eleven thirty six. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't make that connection, even though I have both things in my notes. Interesting. Anyways, I was I was just being silly and was talking about how Didymus is the name of a genus of weevils found in New Zealand. What do you think of the score of this movie? Like I've already said, I don't like the songs in this movie. The, the songs I, by David Bowie, I think they suck. Trevor Jones did the soundtrack. He also did the soundtrack for The Dark Crystal. What do you think of that? I think, I think some of it is fine. Um, but mostly it's just what I don't notice, which is fine. And the stuff that I notice sounds like a bad 80s cop movie. Like a buddy cop. Yep. It kind of does. I have to agree with you there. I don't really like the score either. I think music all around, songs, score, all of it. Um, not really doing it for me in this movie. No. It's mostly out of place and it just feels like... I don't know. It feel, I don't, I don't, it's weird. This movie feels populist or something. Is that the is there is that the right word? I don't know. It feels like '80s pop. Like they've produced this to be. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I can't articulate it the way it's in my head right now. I don't know why, but it's uh, drawing that line between. The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. I feel like The Dark Crystal has its own goals and is not concerned with, um, I guess, outside context. It's Mm. not concerned with popular culture. It's not concerned with any of that shit. It's doing its own thing, and it's a weird thing, and it's fucking cool. Like That's what makes The Dark Crystal kind of great. This movie, I feel like, is kind of aware of the time and the place that it comes out. 
Hence the David Bowie casting. Right. Hence the David Bowie songs, because he's not just an actor. He's a, yeah. he's a, you know, a pop star. Um, and then the score kind of gets influenced from there. And I don't know. It's, I feel like this this movie can't really stand on its own without that additional context. Um, if this movie didn't have David Bowie and it just had a nobody in it, would we even remember it? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It might be one of those weird little oddities, like Legend. Like no yeah. one remembers Legend. Like people like us remember Legend, but. You know, fucking Tom Cruise was in that movie, and yeah. Tim Curry's great in that. I don't think it's a super great movie, but I it's think it's fun. It's it's fun, and Tim Curry's really good in it because he's Tim Curry. Um, but yeah, like it's just one of those weird little eighties um, fantasy movies. One of the things I wanted to talk about, most in that of which scene people have forgotten about, that we didn't talk about, was heard like him talking about wanting to rule her and stuff, and saying everything I've done, I did for you up to this point, blah blah blah, and her saying, "I am exhausted of living." Uh, or no, he says, I am exhausted of living up to your expectations of me. Man, there is some Kilgraveness going on very in there, much. right? He's very much got a Kilgrave purple man uh, from Jessica Jones, of course, quality to him. And maybe it's just because I've been watching. We've been he, watching that recently. But God, that's all I could think of during he, that scene. He, but he uses these men. They are mental abuse techniques. Like what, the way he talks to her about stuff is very similar to gaslighting, you know, making mm-hmm. making a person misremember how things actually were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In order to serve your own ends. Um, that's mental abuse. Yeah. And that's what he does. And, and you know, fortunately, she sees through it and she, you know, she gives him the old one two Freddy Krueger. I still don't totally get what the ball does that he keeps trying to give her. From the beginning, he's like, I'll give you this ball if you just give me the baby. Right. And then yeah. he keeps trying to give it. And he says something like you can see your hopes and dreams or something. I, I still I don't, don't get I, what it does. I feel like what this movie is trying to say, it cares a whole lot. Like, I feel like the movie is obviously trying to say something about young womanhood and growing up. It's a coming of age kind of thing. And also maybe something about avoiding that statue on her desk is David Bowie, too. Yeah. And maybe maybe it's trying to say something about avoiding victimhood or something. I feel like there's a little tinge of that in there, too. To, but it really cares more about puppets and shit than all of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Um, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, we're we're coming here to the. Uh, yeah, and here's the ending right where, the like I said, you know, she puts the toys and stuff in her in her pictures and whatever in a dresser, and she's putting that stuff away. And then and then her, all the puppets come back, and she has them in her room. And oh, you guys will still. And she says, I need you, Hoggle. You do? I don't know why, but every now and again in my life, I need all of you. And again, weird dialogue, but also just a weird message that I don't... It's like this movie couldn't really make up its mind about what it was trying to say. And the stuff that it does try to say, I don't really like. Uh, Jareth was originally... um strongly considered uh, was Michael Jackson to play Jareth as opposed to David Bowie. Hmm. Jim Henson wanted Sting to play Jareth, but his kids told him that David Bowie would have more lasting appeal. So he went with David Bowie. I think that's true. Probably. Compared to Sting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I I don't think, uh, I don't think young women in their late 20s, early 30s these days have the same feeling about Sting that many of them do about David Bowie. David Bowie, Bowie. yeah. 
But how much of that is because of this movie? Also true. Had Sting been cast, would Sting be, be different? Would yeah? Would he would have, we have a would different he have opinion that, of him? That that, uh, mm, that right. image among people, you know, people in our age group. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's things like that you can think about. I don't know if my, Michael Jackson is a weird choice there, though. I would have kind of. I'm. I'm like curious to see what that movie morbidly is. Morbidly curious a little bit yeah, to see what that movie would have been. Yeah, but definitely morbidly curious. Um. Any last thoughts on this movie? I don't hate it. I know we sh- we have shit on this thing eight ways to Sunday, but I don't hate this movie. It's fine. I still like this movie, and I know I I've been kind of neutral or not happy with it as we've talked about it, and most of my childhood memories from it are of being uncomfortable. Um, I'd say let's say I don't hate this movie, but I. I can't really say that I like this movie. I do like this movie. I do like it. I'm not like in love with this movie, but I still like it. It's still a fantasy movie from my childhood that that I that stuck with me that I enjoyed. I still love the puppets. I think they're cool. Um, I think it looks yeah. cool. I like the obstacles yeah, I she faces. I think it's fun. I think the I think the puppets are the coolest thing about it. But other than that, I think the but I don't think it's a very the good performances movie. are bad. I feel like production design wise and art assets wise. You can get a lot more out of the Dark Crystal than you can from this. I feel like um, the music is not good. I may have, may have said that mm-hmm. just now. Um, and then for me, the biggest thing is going back to the message. I have a problem with the message. Yeah. So, And also the weird sexual stuff, too. It's kind of... And, it, and the way it just weird. plays around with tropes in not interesting ways. Like the just regular fantasy tropes that they don't really... I don't know. I don't know. I'm okay with, with the tropey stuff, though. I think that's fine. Anyway... Anyway, it's over now. That's it for Popcorn Poops. Don't forget to stop by our website at popcornpoops.com. Follow us on Twitter at Popcorn Poops or individually. I'm at J Casper Kramer. I am at Dusty Cram Cram. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to donate to our donut button. Please do. Then please. Please click that please. donut. It's not a donut It's not a donut yet. yet. I might change it to a donut just because. Um, because I fucked up and said donut a few episodes ago <laughs> and I guess I'll never live it down um, and of course there's the popcorn poops merchandise shop where if you, can- you have any ideas for merchandise if you have any ideas for t-shirts that you would like me to design and put up there let us know if there's any like funny quotes or anything that we've said because we're, we're we're not terribly introspective and, and self-examining or anything on, on our show I don't know what we've said or done that has yeah, resonated I don't, I don't really listen to the show yeah I don't think you ever have um, <laughs> so if there's anything that you would like to see in our merch shop please reach out to us and let us know if you want to help out the show in a different way and get a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash popcorn poops and sign up for a free trial. You can keep the audiobook forever. Every week we feature a friend of the Popcorn Poops podcast. That is our poo pal. Our, so affectionately, we refer to them as our poo pals. This week's poo pal is the Projection Booth podcast. If you want to be a poop pal, get in touch with us through our website or social media and stick around after the episode for a little message from the projection booth. Dustin. Yo. What are we watching next week? It's it's about to get weird. It's going to get weird. Weirder than Labyrinth? Yeah. Weirder than Labyrinth. Pooplings, we are jumping into the world of uh, one filmmaker by the name of David Lynch. And for uh, the second week of hashtag 1986 month, we will be jumping into his movie, Blue Velvet. And that's going to be, that's going to be a thing. Are we going to have to be serious next week? 
Yes, but not too serious. Okay. We're gonna, we'll Are make, we going to have to think? Definitely. Okay. <laughs> definitely will. Uh, but it's going to be fun. We're going to make it as fun as we can, and I'm very much looking forward to that. So um, until then, take care. Bye-bye. We are the Popcorn Poops. Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth Podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now. And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films. Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema. From every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalope. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them.